Hi folks, I'm Duncan Gill, child and adolescent psychiatrist. And I'm Victoria Lee, licensed clinical mental health counselor. And welcome to Is There a Med for That? The podcast about teen mental health, behavioral problems, and what to do about them. Victoria and I have been working together for years with kids. Sometimes we use therapy, sometimes medication. Sometimes we just give guidance to parents. And we realize that sometimes kids just need to be left alone. We don't have all the answers, but we've got some of them. We'll do our best to share what we've learned over the years working with struggling kids and their families. We hope you enjoy the show and that we can be helpful to those who have taken on the hardest, most important job in the world, being a parent. Hi, Victoria. Hi, Duncan. Here we are again. Here we are. Welcome, parents. Welcome, parents. So today, I thought we'd discuss a matter near and dear to my heart. As dear as it gets for Duncan. This is pretty good, yeah. <laughs> We're going to talk about medication. Perfect. Right? Meds 101. This I is it. am. I am. I really want to be better at being able to identify medication names as a professional. That's something I want to get better at. You've but learned a ton about meds. Yeah, I feel like I know a lot of concepts. I feel like right. a lot of the names and like categories. I know categories, but then there's all the names and... We can get to all that later. One of the hard things is I graduated from med school 20 years ago or something. Really? And it's hard it to... Has been that long? I think so. How old were you when you graduated? From med school. I was probably 23. Okay, and then after med school, you have to do, do residency. Residency, and then you do fellowship. Fellowship. So I learned all the meds back then. They come up with new stuff all the time. I heard a new name yesterday, Journey. J-O-U-R-N-E-Y, like the band? I think it maybe doesn't have the U. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah, I was going to have to look it up too. But you keep running across new ads for new meds. I say, oh shoot, I better go look that one up. So anyway, it's hard to keep up with the times, but... um, 20 years. That's just... When are you technically a doctor? When you graduate med school? You're technically a doctor after med school, although you can't practice. You could like write a book and have MD after your name. I think Michael Crichton did that. Okay. What do you write? Coma? I don't know. You wrote a few things. Anyway, so so you, you have the letters, but they don't do you a lot of good until residency. Because you have to work under people? You have to work under people. And you don't know really anything no, about it. No, and you're a totally low person on the totem pole. Okay. You go into the hospitals and you're, you're like the lowest of the low. And nurses don't want to see you. Really? And the docs can be patronizing (laughs) and difficult if they're surgeons. But it's actually really good, I think, to start down low because, you know, at some point you're higher up the totem pole. So it's good to have a sense of um, hierarchy and the the pluses and minuses of it. Yeah. Humbling for a little bit. Keep those doctor egos in check for the first couple of years. For the first couple. (laughs) Then you lose that. so anyways, thought we talk about meds today. Meds 101. Meds 101, just an introductory um, And are you, pod. as you go through meds 101, are you taking the perspective of like adolescent medication or more like just medication in general? Medication in general, it's, I don't think the principles are any different. Okay. Um, at all. Um, you use meds probably a little differently in kids. Um but the principles are all the same. Okay. And see, that's true about new meds as well. Despite there being new meds and new science behind them and stuff, the principles have not changed. Okay. So I also think like, you know, for our listeners out there being a parent with a child who's maybe suffering with mental health issues, it can be a scary topic. Yes. So I think 
you know, like going into this episode with the perspective of I'm a parent, I'm new to the mental health field and my kids might potentially be on medication. So what do I need to know? Right. Cool. That's the idea. All right. So we talk about developmental problems. You and I use these terms (laughs) and biological problems and meds are really for the biological problems, which are, um, you know, for lack of a better word, they're chemical imbalances, I think. I think it's a reasonable way to visualize them. But these are usually genetic um, either conditions or tendencies. Um, but they're things like depression, cl- clinical depression or major depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia. But they're also softer um, issues that are more um, traits that are still in, impacting functioning, like anxiety, which can run in families, mood stuff that's milder than major depression or bipolar disorder runs in families. But it also occurred to me that there are a lot of conditions that are not related to genetics, which meds can treat as well. Mm-hmm. Um, questionable, you know, autism certainly is somewhat related to genetics, but sometimes not. We don't really understand fully. But um, meds can be very helpful for autistic folks. Mm-hmm. Okay. And also folks with brain injuries. Um, right. Brain injuries can cause all kinds of issues from psychosis to impulse control problems. Which seems like a lot more clear non-genetic or biological yes. underlining or underpinnings to that. Yeah. And along with brain damages, um, uh, problems cause while in the womb, um, mm-hmm. by struggling with, uh, oxygen, pregnancy, or... oxygen, substance abuse, um, of the mother during pregnancy problems during the birth. So folks, even without the genetics for it can end up with psychiatric symptomatology. Yeah. yeah and not to be difficult. <laughs> <laughs> Is it starting already, Victoria? <laughs> Well, We're not even five minutes into this podcast. <laughs> you mentioned, um, I, I was on vacation last week, so maybe I'm a little more energized. Um, you mentioned the chemical imbalance piece, right? And I, I like how you said it, visualizing it in that way versus clearly saying that it is a chemical imbalance because I, I even heard, I haven't been able to find it, but there's um, maybe a new study out that kind of debunked the whole chemical imbalance perspective. Um, and I think, yeah. And so again, not to be difficult, but say, what if you don't believe in chemical imbalances? Meds can still be useful, even if it's not about a chemical imbalance, right? Sure. They're either useful or they're not. Right. And ultimately who really cares why? Yep. But just based on experience, they are. Um, but yeah, that's, that's good. I think I saw that study you were talking about. I think we talked about it. Um, uh, it's, I had problems with that particular study just based on methodology, but sure. Yeah. And chemical imbalance, I think is a gross, um, oversimplification and sometimes it's a way people are wired and who knows what else, um, sort of hard wires are probably, you can't even measure. Can't even measure. Yeah. At least yeah. Like when with a broken bone, you have an x-ray, you can see oh, broken bone. Right. But if there is a mental health symptom that you're trying to potentially medicate. There's no x-ray or anything to say, oh, here's an imbalance. There is not. And this is a popular misconception. Um, So in psychiatry, really, imaging and blood tests 
uh, in genetic tests has very limited value. They have some sort of um, gross changes they can see in terms of brain size or certain areas. They can look at pretty pictures of the brain uh, mm. with color and the way blood changes and functional MRIs and that kind of thing. We can do genetic tests from cheek swabs. We can do blood tests. I did one of those on my dogs. You did a she, genetic test on your dog? Yeah, to see what breeds they are. Oh, sorry, you can do that. It's like Ancestry.com for yeah, dogs. Yeah, yep. Side note, sorry. You're totally being difficult <laughs> in this podcast. <laughs> You're a this dog is great. You totally distracted me. Okay. What was I saying, Victoria? <laughs> You're talking about like the pretty brain scans. That's right, pretty great brain scans. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be serious for a second here. Okay. All seriousness aside. Um, yes, sir. Yes. So they also have very formal uh, tests like written and multiple choice tests, which all, I think, have some utility, but very limited overall. All right. those tests. Because they're often like um, self-reports, right? They all really are based on self-reports. Which is so unreliable. Which is unreliable to begin with. Yeah. Um, that's not Franz, true. They're not all based on self-reports. But Franz DeWall was talking about how funny it is to him as a biologist, how the mental health field, because he's merged a little bit w into the mental health field and how his studies can help inform people and how we practice. Um, but he talks about how bizarre he thinks it is, how people self so much of the research is on self-report and he's like if you know anything about human nature it's not very accurate no um and honestly the best objective tests for psychiatric problems is an interview it's you yourself as the interviewer seeing what they look like and having like the experience biologist with observing the bonobo in the wild bonobo bonobo is that how you say it I have to ask my kids, is Bonobo? that some kind of animal? Yeah, chimps, and they're part of the apes. you got to go on vacation more often. This is great. <laughs> Ooh, the boss just told me to take more vacation time, and we have it recorded. So, anyways, they say psychiatry is 19th century diagnostic with 21st century right. technology. Uh, technology, and that's absolutely true. So, wow. in my opinion, my humble opinion... Best test for everything, including ADHD, which has lots of um, sort of quote-unquote objective tests for it, is the clinical interview still. Right. So, I like that. Thank you. In uh, terms yeah. of um, like the myth of mental illness, Yes. what is, is it Czar? Um, SARS. SARS. Okay, yep. no, I'm screwing that name up. Um, that's kind of their thesis in there, right? Or like that perspective is based on that, that there is no real identifying. You can't point to anything and say, here's a mental illness. And that's why, would you say that's his theory? Yeah. So Saz uh, wrote about, what was the name of the book? The Myth of Mental, Myth illness, of mental illness. And then the medicalization of every day. Right. He and read a ton of stuff. As I understand it. He takes a position that's not unusual, which is that because these are things we can't measure, because it's so soft and sort of seems vague, it's not real to consider mental illness as a real thing. And I, I read parts of it, actually. Um, and I can sort of see where it's coming from. Yeah. But at some point, you get to illnesses like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. It's really hard to argue with neurology of that. Yeah. And fundamentally... 
how, I guess at the end of the day, whether you can, if you can help someone with, yeah, exactly. Because I actually, I read some of that book a long time ago and I really liked it too. And I understand the perspective and agree with a lot of it. But then, like you said, when you have more extreme things, it becomes very evident. Like, why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you want to try to help? Right. If you have something that can help, but you're withholding it. And not that that would even be its argument, but. And the other thing is, um, this is very typical of science. If you can't measure it, it's not real. Right. But things like um, syphilis was seen as a mental illness for a very long time, uh, which caused psychosis and delusions of grandeur and all kinds of stuff. And these people were locked up in asylums. Mm. That's what they called them back then anyways. Asylums. yeah, and then they found out it was a neurological thing. Yeah. And now it's treated with antibiotics. And that will likely happen with psychiatric things as well. Yep. Um, it's sort of, ha- and we talked about psychiatry being a shrinking field. Yep. As things are better understood. A shrinking field. Shrinking field, yeah, it's taken it's over good, by neurologists. But isn't that a good, like a shrink? Oh, that's, that's good. A, I didn't think of yeah, that. Scott would appreciate that. Good dad, dad joke. That's a good one. So, in any event, moving on to, this is sort of related to what we're talking about. We're talking about mechanism of action of these meds. Mechanism of action. How these medications work, we really do not know. We have a surface level of understanding that is very easy to trot out and sound scientific. Um, And we certainly understand some things. Yep. Um, At least when I was in school, there was uh, very, um, it was pretty simple. Ideas of depression, too little serotonin, too little norepinephrine, a too little dopamine, these three neurotransmitters, chemicals in the brain, which is why we think of chemical imbalances. Psychosis, too much dopamine. Parkinson's disease, too little dopamine. Mm. Um, addiction, too much dopamine. So, Or just the right amount. Or just, the, depending <laughs> on your perspective. Yeah. Um, and these things are probably true. They started discovering lots of subtypes of receptors and lots of new neurotransmitters mm. and second messengers and all kinds of cellular biology, which I really wish I understood and really should go back and read about, mm. but I honestly don't um, or haven't um, because honestly, it doesn't matter that much to what I do. Mm. It really doesn't because this is all, in, in my opinion, this is very useful for the pharmaceutical in- uh, right. industry to know where to target, what kinds the of ke- chemicals to and- put together. For the practicing psychiatrists, is not that important. Um, you just th- need the ammo that they come up with. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. sort of built, using, yeah, their research brains. Yep. Thank you. It takes for that. a team. It does. You're so in any event, the, yeah, the I client mean, client level care. So we don't take you away from that. If you think about, it, we don't even know what emotions are. We don't know what consciousness is. Yeah. Right, so and we're talking about tinkering people's emotions. How do you go from? Right serotonin to emotion it's it's just, it's a big leap so you have to come to some kind of terms with the fact that we really don't ultimately know how these meds work we have reasonable ideas and at least surface level of understanding which is useful but you have to allow that you know we really don't know how this stuff works right, the humility part of it be humble which is hard for a lot of docs particularly psychiatrists who want to be scientific Yep. And our field isn't seen so much as so. So that's where we get a lot of folks, um, I think, overcompensating, mm-hmm. relying more on quote unquote objective tests, et cetera. So 
if you don't have mechanisms of action, well, you, you do to some degree, but if you really don't understand fundamentally how these meds work, how do you, how do you go about treating? Throw stuff at it and see what sticks. That's kind of true. Or see in other people what had worked previously and identify symptoms. Yeah. That's sort of a, a way that sounds a little more scientific, it's accurate, is <laughs> trial and error. There you go. Thank you. You like that better? I like that. It's a good biological or like more scientific way to put it than my developmental throw. It's, trial and error sounds very unscientific to, to some degree. It sounds like, shoot, you're just trying something, I hope it works. But it's really the scientific That's process. a scientific method. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Hypothesis? It's test. everything. Like growing up, it's so much trial and error. It's great. You don't really get more scientific than trial and error. You use what information you do have, what science is available, experience, and you try and you hope. Yeah. And if it doesn't work, you try something different. As far as sort of a little bit more nuts and bolts of of psych meds, it's really symptomatic treatment. Because these illnesses, conditions aren't well understood, and a lot of times they're on a spectrum, um, it's much easier to think of psych meds as treating symptoms rather than illnesses. So symptoms would include... We've talked about this, Victoria. Depression. Depression would be one psychiatric symptom. Anxiety. Anxiety. Delusions. Delusions. Psychosis is a larger term. Yes. Exactly. Um, I had. I was able to think about it, but I was able to put mood instability. My favorite mood ups and downs. Does depression fall under that? Right? Shouldn't it? Under mood instability. Because what are you stable as for the depressed? simple yeah for the simple reason that they respond differently to meds antidepressants responds to one mood instability okay. is more ups and That's downs why you separate it in this or okay. agitation or impulsivity and it responds to different meds mood instability up and down you're noting the up and down part okay and I think we talked about in the bipolar episode it doesn't even have to look like I'm up and down it looks like an energy yeah that can be up and down it can be angry or super anxious that's a little different it can be impulsivity. So it's really more about energy instability. Yeah. How do you like that? Love it. It's going to turn. Term. Dunks in the zone. Uh, and then I've got inatt- <laughs> inattentiveness and hyperactivity. I had to put in there for ADHD. So, and mm. I think we talked before, uh, Victoria, as to what the scientific way to treat depression is. What would you? What kind of medicine would you use? An antidepressant. Oh, that's right. Mood instability. A mood stabilizer. What about somebody who's depressed and has mood instability? A little bit of both. Nice. <laughs> We've been working together for a long time. Yes. <laughs> um, psychosis. I want to do a whole podcast about delusions, which are fixed false beliefs like the CIA's after me. Uh, unless they are. Unless they are. It was very hard to prove, or right? Don't yep. really know who's psychotic and who's not. It's just unlikely for most people. Yep. Unless you're Jason really Bourne. See the born identity? A long time ago. I like that one. Or hallucinations, the other type of psychosis. Usually hearing voices, that kind of thing. So for that, use a... Antipsychotic. Antipsychotic, which is a different class of medication. Which is kind of intimidating. If I'm a, new, if I'm a parent yeah. hearing that, I don't like that. Well, you have the whole term psychotic, which sounds like crazy. Yeah. Um, and it does mean you have some kind of breaks with reality, and people associate that with schizophrenia immediately, which it does not have to be associated with. But yeah, the th- and antipsychotics are used for mood disorders as well. There's like mood stabilizing properties. So yeah, you see, like it's often it will act like a glue. It's, in it can some be way sort of hold. a glue in a kid who decompensates really easily, particularly if they've got 
developmental, like uh, congenital, you know, things where they were born uh, with brain issues or brain damage or yep. autism. So the meds, they fall across many categories. It's not as black and white, but it's useful to think of it this way. Yeah, to introduce yourself in that way. Anxiety. What med are we using for that, Victoria? An anxiety medication? Anti-anxiety? No. Do they call them anti-anxieties? <laughs> they do have anxiety meds. Um, they have things like Valium. And uh, these are an- anxiolytics. And uh, Ativan. Anxiolytics. I like that word. I like that one? Yeah. Uh, they've got Xanax. So they do have lots of meds for quote-unquote anxiety. What are the Z-hypnotics? Do you know what those are? Uh, they're probably talking about the Ambien's and yeah. Lunesta's and Sonata's of the world. What category would you put them in? Sleep aids? Those are sleep aids, but they're similar to the meds I'm talking about, the which are benzodiazepines. Yep. And some docs do use that, and I think in a limited set of circumstances, uh, they do make sense, uh, but it's limited. And for real clinical anxiety, I like antidepressant or mood stabilizer. Okay. You don't get addicted to them either. Yep. So yeah, harder to sell on the, the street. Yeah, the, a lot of the anxiety meds can have higher levels of addiction rates, like benzos and. Right. Well, only benzos are the ones I'm thinking of, I guess. Yeah. Well, those are most of the anxiolytics are benzos. Um, yeah. So, um, anyways, you treat based on symptom, and you combine if people have multiple symptoms. And as far as. I think you asked me this. Yeah, as far as deciding who needs a med and who doesn't, what's your thought process, Dr. Lee? Well, I would always defer to the risk the risk of not medicating versus the risk of medicating. This was a guess what I'm thinking question. You, you aced it. Yep. Risk, benefit. What's the risk of not taking medication? Well, the, the, what's easier is the risk of taking medication because most of these meds have been studied for a long time. We have a lot of clinical experience. But I got to tell you, as a non-doctor right. person, right. they are scary sounding, right? Or like a parent even more so. Yes. Like, oh my God, like, you know, like I think of, um, I don't watch TV much, but like back in the day, this they very quickly read all the side effects, like bleeding from your eyeballs and like <laughs> coma, Caesar's goes with coma death. <laughs> yeah. 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 Scary. I can't imagine those ads actually sell medicine. I guess it's to name recognition, but who wants yep. to try Cymbalta when it causes, you know, Caesar's coma death. Everything causes that at the end. Right. What would you say to a parent who's worried about the actual side effects? It's a great question. Or potential side effects. Yeah. Yeah. You have to have some trust in your doctor. That's pretty much it. Who has both the quote literature experience, but also the real life experience of seeing what the meds have done of to people. Of seeing what they do to people and haven't done to people and haven't done to people. Yep. But that's the flip side in the the part which makes this make a lot more sense is to actually think about medicating is the risk of not medicating. Yep. What you brought a, you in today that you're right. concerned about, and are they able to function? Is their life in shambles because of a mental or health issue. Or in danger, yeah, suicidal thoughts. Yep. You know, that's a big risk to take. Yeah. I also, too, being the non-doctor clinician, always want to stress, too, that medication is part of a bigger plan, right, in that 
are you as a client or a parent, as a child, like, are you trying other things that also have mental health benefits? Like, have you really explored the avenues to optimal mental health? And are you practicing those things in your life? Because a lot of times, and, but then it gets complicated because sometimes a mental health disorder can prevent you from starting those plans or activating plans or coming up with plans. Right. And so you can be in a tricky spot. Yeah. That's one of the risks of medication and not just side effects, but the risk of saying this pill is going to fix my kid or fix my problem, which can distract from doing real work. Yeah. And there are sort of severity of biological problems. And a lot of the kids we see are sort of in the middle where they either don't have biological sort of genetic stuff and they're just struggling with being a teen and environment and life. Um, Or they've sort of got some genetics for depression, mood instability, anxiety, so meds may be part of the picture. On the other hand, you go to severe bipolar disorder or severe schizophrenia and you're really probably not going to get practically anywhere without meds. Yep. So there's a real continuum. Question, what if like, and you probably never know this, but... I know it. <laughs> spoken like a real gill. Um, what Dad, if, I hope you heard that. Yeah. <laughs> I learned that from Ben, for yeah. the record. Um, what... In my head, I'm like, well, geez, if... Like, even if you don't have a biological situation going on, like I have, like, say you have, like, biological depression or biological anxiety. See, if you don't have that going on, but you take one of those, a medication, will you feel better? Like, no. are they just helpful? And, like, <laughs> Great question. That's, like, the drug addict in me probably being, or, like, you know, thinking yeah, there's got to be some benefit to taking something. Almost all meds are either going to do nothing or you're going to feel kind of side effecty. Okay. Benzos like Valium, Ativan, Xanax are an exception, which is one of the concerns. Then is that you are going to feel relaxed like you had a shot of vodka if you take one of these meds. Or stimulants. It's probably oversimplification. Or stimulants. They'll keep you up. They won't, in my clinical experience, I haven't seen a lot of evidence that they make you hyper-focus in a very useful way. I think they experiment on soldiers and that kind of thing, but... I don't think there's Nazis a huge benefit did, I think a lot was, other than staying yeah. up and being awake. I think there's a lot of recreational interest, though, in stimulants. There is. Yeah, there's a lot of interest. I don't know. I mean, I think they fuel med school, don't they? <laughs> I've heard that, that like a lot of like colleges that like to um, cram... I went to the Caribbean. I don't think we had any access to right. You real guys, meds. probably all the chill people went there. They're like the island yeah. seekers. Yeah, you know, more that's type one way B of looking at it. Doctors, of like <laughs> it was, it was of some time world. we got time. It's a fascinating crew. Yeah, but uh, for the most part, if you take an antidepressant, you don't need it. It's not going to do okay. anything. And now, why? Great question. I'm scratching my head. Yeah, um, it's perplexing to me because maybe it's. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's balancing versus enhancing? Yeah, it's the sort of neurotransmitter theory is that if you have enough enough. of something already, adding more isn't really going to make a difference. If you have too little, it can be a dramatic change to normalizing it. That's the best way I would hypothesize that works. Yeah. So, yeah, so as far as side effects go, uh, I'd like to do another episode sort of on side effects in general, but... 
Most of the side effects are mild with these meds, not always, but mostly, and we have a pretty good idea what they are. One of the worst ones isn't that common, but it certainly happens, which is getting more moody, which is why there's a warning on antidepressants and all the other psych meds, because sometimes, particularly a kid will take a med, an antidepressant, and feel more moody on it, which you don't want. Right. So the, the secret to dealing with that is the message I give every parent, which is if somebody's feeling worse in a med, stop it and let me know. Yep. I think a lot of clinicians uh, make the mistake of saying, we'll just push through it and I'll see you in a month. And yeah. I, think that's, I think that's dangerous. Yeah, I agree. Um, and it can be really off-putting. Like, think about like how the lack of autonomy you feel in that. Like, I'm telling you I feel worse, but stick with right. it for a month. And I mean, that, I feel like it's that would... It's dismissive. Yeah. It makes for a bad feeling about medication if for a month long you're feeling more activated and agitated. Yeah. So we can do a longer one about side effects, but um, it's balancing risk of continuing with depression or mood instability or impulsivity or psychosis or anxiety. There's some risk to that, maybe high, maybe low, to the risk of side effects and potentially distracting somebody from the other work they have to do in their life. Yeah. Important stuff to consider. Yeah. So that's Meds 101. Maybe we could do Meds 102. I really enjoyed this back and forth with you today, Victoria in particular, and hope you get another vacation soon. And another cold brew. But not too soon. Yeah. Awesome. Good work, Dunk. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. All right. Thanks for listening, folks. All right. Have a good afternoon. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Is There a Med for That? For more information about our podcast and our clinical work, visit our website at medforthat.com. If you've got questions, comments, or topics you'd like us to cover, feel free to email us at contact at medforthat.com. We'd love to answer some of your questions on air. Have a great day.